1: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
0: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we still may struggle in our intimate relationships? Yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational practices and support from trusted allies. My husband and I have a wonderful marriage, but we're not necessarily the best relationship teachers. In episode 315, I brought on the founders of the Relationship School, Jason and Ellen. They live and breathe all things relational boundaries, conflict, owning your needs, attachment styles, and so much more. If you want to learn how to work through conflict better and communicate better, Jason is offering 50% off his Indestructible Partnerships course. Thousands of people have changed their relationships for the better with this course. Go to relationshipschool School slash Laura and use the coupon code Laura to get 50% off this life-changing course. Now back to the podcast. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have the incredible and talented Holderness family. Ken and Kim Holderness have been on social media now for a few years and really just exploded into this virtual platform because of their talent. They've made it as influencers now and are doing this full time. They've written a new book called Everyone Fights. We talk about all this on the podcast today and more I hope you enjoy this wonderful couple. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a very old friend and a rather new friend on with me today, the lovely Holdernesses Kim and Penn. I'm so excited to have you guys on here today.
1: Thanks for having us. It's really good to see your face again, Laura. It has been a long time.
0: (laughs) It's been a long time, yes. Penn and I have known each other for many years, but have not seen each other for a long time. Um, But it's always lovely when you have these old ties because there's time can pass but there's just this solid sense of comfort and i just really feel that with you and your whole family and by extension with you kim oh thank you i first want to just say thank you to you all you are just a breath of fresh air it's like no matter what you're doing posting singing about i think it just brings such levity into the world and so first of all huge thank you for that i know that there's many reasons you're doing the things you are but i think That is coming from your heart that you want to bring some more joy and lightness and laughter into the world. But before you start with all the goodness you provide with your work and life, I want to backtrack a little bit because we're both entrepreneurs. And looking back 25 years ago when I started uh, my professional life, quote unquote, I would never have thought that I would be where I am today. I was much more on a linear track. And I have a feeling you guys would say the same thing. So I'd like to first start by going back to your early years and what you thought you would be doing at this point in your life. And you both can answer that.
1: Well, let's see. I think when I got out of college, I was fairly clueless. That's, I think, one of the drawbacks of a liberal arts education where you think you're going to go pre-law and then you find out that you have raging ADHD and you don't want to read 700 books. (laughs) There, There was a period where I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. I visited a couple of seminaries. My dad was a preacher. My dad was Laura's preacher. And I knew that I wanted to do something in front of people. I thought that was a gift that I had and kind of quickly moved over to doing some stuff in journalism. And at that point, my I was able to set a goal like where I would love to be a network journalist. I would, I'd love to be able to tell stories for you know lots of people. That was probably the goal that I had for the longest portion of my life. This thing that we do now did not exist. Any sort of job as an influencer or having your own platform did not exist. So there was no way we could have possibly guessed that this is what we were going to do when it revealed itself through strange circumstances, including just kind of a video that we put out that was meant to be for our family and friends that took kind of a viral turn. And we realized after a little bit too late, almost two years after the video came out that we could do this as our only source of income for a living. But... Uh, I immediately knew that this is this was the best possible path I could have taken because it was something it was something that I could do with my family with my wife and with me being more of myself than I could possibly be. But there's I mean I didn't see that coming Five years ago, Laura, I still, even after we put our video out, I I didn't see it coming. It took a long time for us Mm -hmm. to figure it out. We're not fast learners. No. I would say my
2: first day of the University of Florida journalism school, because I always knew I want, I thought I wanted to be a newspaper journalist. And then somebody said, oh, you have a cool voice. You should be in TV. And then my first day journalism school, the professor told us our our auditorium classroom, the job you will have in 10 years does not exist yet. Mm -hmm. The job you will have in 20 years won't exist. He was just basically preparing. He, and he was so funny. He's like, you know, you're gonna be able to tell a story from your a backpack. Meaning, I was like, how would they do that? How can you fit a satellite? Like that's how long ago it was. I always wanted to be a I loved, I did hard news, um, you know, and I it was fine, but my anxiety cut, like every time I went to a car accident and saw dead bodies or anything, or I was on the scene of a shooting, like I couldn't sleep for a week. So I knew I wanted to do something a little softer. So I wanted to do more feature stories. It doesn't really exist. So again, like Penn said, we put out these goofy videos. It didn't even occur to us that this is like something we could produce and we could do. Although other people were doing it. We just, I think we just wanted the income of, you know, running. Like We thought we were supposed to be in a marketing firm. You thought we were supposed to do this. Um, We also
1: didn't think that People would want to keep
2: watching us, right? Right, yeah. right. We didn't think people would keep wanting, and and that also may still happen. Oh, yeah. So, and I think as an entrepreneur, I think the hardest part has been making those decisions and not having a boss to tell you what to do. So that's been that's I think been the hardest part of like inventing it as we go because there was no business plan. This was never part of the business plan. We didn't have one.
0: And I'm fascinated because I, my path is very similar in in the sense that. I didn't have a business plan. I, lo- I got the chills about what your professor said that yeah. you don't... like Because I think that still exists now. And it's probably even happening at a more hyperspeed. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. And people like us are more adaptable because we're more comfortable with the unknown. Mm-hmm. I would never have been that comfortable 25 years ago. When I left my very safe job, it was because my husband is was an actor. And he was very used to the kind of up and downs. Like, you don't have a job, that's fine. You do something... And we decided to bike cross-country. And to do that, it was three months, I had to quit my job. And I was pretty high up in the physical therapy world. And my boss at the time said, you know, we'd love to have you back, but by attrition, because all these changes that are happening in the medical world, we're going to just close off your position because that'll save the hospital money. And I just had this like, to be that like destabilizing, yeah. Thing was so, you know, because again, we we were raised and people, you know, probably stuck with one job most of their lives, and you know, went on this path and to do. And my husband was like, "Just do it." And if I if I hadn't had him saying like, "It's going to be fine. You've got a skill. You're going to be able to find a job. Don't worry about it," I wouldn't have had that inner voice myself. Though I, I wouldn't have. I see now, having been adaptable and you know adjusting and growing, that I can like expand and grow. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about being an entrepreneur is that you do really, it's real grit. There is like, you got to be comfortable with the unknown in a way that doesn't really exist when you're in this more kind of linear path.
2: We had two months of savings yeah. when when he quit his job.
1: So, and also I want to say,
0: And children.
2: And children.
1: I I think that if people were to take a snapshot at our lives, and particularly from the videos, and they see that I'm a little bit crazy and off the cuff and ADHD-ish, they probably would have guessed that I would have been the person who said, let's take the jump. And it was Kim like all the way. In fact, she's had to do it several times. Like anytime that we make a risk uh, to kind of like step out on a ledge, it's been her.
2: Yeah, somebody really wise, her name is Nancy Glass. She actually runs, she was married to my boss at Inside Edition and she runs a production company. She's a really smart woman. And she said to me one time, she maybe even doesn't remember saying this. She's like, there's always a job for a smart, hardworking person. Sometimes hardworking people are not smart. And sometimes smart people are not hardworking. If you're smart, you're hardworking, you will always have a job. And she's like, and take your ego out of it. Because I know, like even in today's, like I will I would drive Uber right now if I needed to. I would do Instacart if I needed to. Like I'll always have something. So when we needed to, we sat down, we're like, this is how much money we need to pay our mortgage to buy benefits at the time, to buy groceries. This is, and I know we could get there. If it's me nannying or whatever it is, like we can get there. So we never had to, but maybe we will in the future. I don't know.
0: I think that is a trait that is, sorely lacking with a lot of people. I know from hiring many people over the years, what I now look for is I don't really care about the education. What I care about is the willingness to get your hands in, learn a skill, do it well, show up. And that is, like you said, you will always, if you're willing and you have the skill set of determination and uh, just that scrappiness. Like I've had people that had no degrees who were way better workers and yeah. then others who you know, had these advanced degrees or something. So I think it's really good for people to hear wherever you are, just work hard. like yeah. really be willing ask to work good, hard yeah. at anything, yeah,
2: and ask good questions and want to do better. I mean, and it's I hate this like hustle mentality of like you have to hustle yourself to death. I hate that. but if your back's against the wall like we were, like we we were real close to broke and and like we had to,
0: so yeah. Yeah, it's like knowing how to shift gears when you need to. You don't always have to stay at that high gear, but you might have to sometimes. Yeah. So going back to that launching point, I know it's the pajama video, because I remember when it came out, several of my friends had tagged me on it. And then several of our mutual friends had tagged me. And I was like, look at them. They're so this was so fun and so creative. But for those of us who are not don't really understand the metrics of views and going viral. What is it about a viral video that gives you the financial freedom and creative freedom perhaps to be able to do that more as a full-time gig?
1: Yeah, the early answer to that is nothing. So we didn't know that we were supposed to press a monetization button on yeah. our video until it was well over 50% of its view volume. We didn't think that we would be allowed to because we were using a, you know, we were using a parody of someone else's music. It wasn't really technically our IP. We didn't know anything. So that first video did very little directly to put money in our pockets. What it did do was it, it was a period of time where mainstream production companies were looking for digital producers to integrate into their into their stuff. So we got we got an agent. We got access to like brands who wanted to do deals with us moving forward. But what you're supposed to do as soon as you have a viral video is make another video. It doesn't have to be viral. And another, and another, and another, and builds up a subscriber base. That's like the—that's where the money comes from because you have a baseline for your worst video is going to get this many views and this many ads on either YouTube or Facebook. We should have done that on day one, oh my gosh. and we didn't. Yeah, like, no, yeah. it took it
2: because we were so programmed to be like. Well, that was fun, yeah. but now we need to go shoot a car commercial. Now you know, like behind the camera. Now we need to go shoot. We to go real, direct something. Direct like else. a real yeah. estate video and do social media for somebody else. So we 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 did put out videos very sporadically, kind of for fun. We didn't get any of that, but we it, were yeah. huge
1: perfectionists about them too. Like we yeah, took, we needed. It was very precious. It was, very
2: precious. It was yeah. very precious, and so there's so much I would have. Done differently, and we could have really, I think, grown a much more substantial platform. But whatever.
0: Have you ever thought about? I'm just curious. I'm sure you have so many other things on your plate, but have you ever thought about creating a like almost a how-to for people that they could purchase because so many people don't know these things, and uh, you can I almost think it just yeah.
2: changes so fast. I mean, we've yeah. talked about it because you know we work now and only like in the last. So two years ago, we hired Anne-Marie who works with who's who's like brilliant social media specialist, amazing. A year ago, we hired Sam Allen and she helps us edit. She's very creative. So we have like this, so there's now four of us that are doing this stuff, but it changes so much. So we did like an online course of something. Like we've talked about it. We're like, gosh, but we publish on a Tuesday, Wednesday, the rules are different.
0: No, you're right. All the algorithms and the different, we have a Facebook kind of manager yeah and we have meetings like almost every two or three weeks. And it yeah, even that, they're like, Oh, here's a new feature uh, and yeah. for a lookalike audience. And I'm just sitting there going, What? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. There's, it's. But I think in terms of making the videos itself, we could do that. But yeah, how to make them. Buy- the,
1: the Facebook part is, I mean, we, we have a manager too. It is crazy, right? Their goal is very simple. They don't want people to leave Facebook. So that's been consistent for seven years. That's when they started allowing you to natively upload videos. That's when they started allowing you to monetize them. That's when they started working with the live and the premiere and all these different functions. But they also have a goal of wanting to make their audience younger. They want people to spend more time watching videos. But to your point, it changes every changes every other month. So like a specific way to beat the algorithm doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. I, I'm really curious about how you decide on content. Because as the, as the observer, it seems like you really do it based on life events. But I'm sure as the business side, you have to have a, a little bit of a content plan just to have Some space, or do you literally just do it based on daily events?
1: No, we we look at no, no. We do have a content meeting that we just wrapped up from. We have a team. We have two other people who are on our team, and we we do brainstorm. But largely, it's stuff that's going on in our lives.
2: And right now, so I would love to be the person that has like you know I follow a lot of food bloggers because I love to cook, and they have content planned out for the season. And I'm like, what is that like? So we just had our content meeting. And we we came up with two videos that we'll shoot tomorrow that will go out. I gotta week. go. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: go write them when we're done. Yeah, so they'll
2: podcast. go out. Like we'll shoot it on Tuesday, publish one of them on Wednesday, one of them on Friday, and that's where the local news comes in. Like we can just like think of it, write it, shoot it, and we're not. They're not. Are they the most beautifully shot videos? No. Some stuff is out of focus. Like
1: honestly, the the super overproduced stuff doesn't always do as
0: well. No, I agree. I think it's like exactly like just doing it in a kind of more normal. And that's kind of how all of the social media platforms are. The really curated stuff has been oversaturated. And I think people like the more real stuff. But of course, your stuff still seems very professional. Me, Can you just walk us through like, so what is that like? How do you, you decide on a topic? And then how does it go from there? Like who does what? Obviously, you're doing You learn the music, which I'm blown away that, if I recall, you don't read notes, you actually do it all by, that's crazy.
1: Uh, Well, no, that's actually great for this. Well, that
0: is, but still. I
1: I don't have to play any, I don't have to read music. Usually what we do is we find a backing track that is not intellectual proper or not the composition property of the original artist. And then I just have to sing over the top of it. But if you have a good ear, you can do parodies pretty easily.
2: Hey, but you do the
1: musical tracks some of some of Sometimes, yeah, I have had to do some of them. And then sometimes I perform them live. But if you have ear training and you um, don't read music, you can usually hear a song and perform it. So it's a curse if I want to sit down and do a recital, but it's a blessing for something like this.
2: It's a blessing, exactly. He's fun at parties because you can like name a song and he can plunk it out and play it. That's
1: that's incredible.
2: So we'll come up with an idea. So you come
1: up with the idea. I wanted to clarify this. Kim comes up with all
2: the ideas. I don't come up with all the ideas, a lot. A
1: lot of the ideas. Like she's and then
2: he goes and he happens very quickly. He has this like really weird brain where he'll like come up with these lyrics, like original or parody, and like minutes, like 15 minutes, he'll write the whole thing, which is like you could lock me in a room and say, like, I'm not gonna give you food or water until you come out with a parody song or an original song. And I, I would die there because like I have no I have no skills. Or if it's a skit, it's something, you know, Amory does some writing. I do some writing there. Um we're not like trained comedy writers. Like that's something that we probably need some help with. And then literally we spend very little time reviewing it and then we just shoot it. And then he edits it or, or Sam edits it. And then we
1: yeah, put it, it out. When they come up with an idea and I go up to write, if it takes me more than 30 minutes to get like 80% of the song done, I throw it out. And this is something I got from my dad, Laura. If he ever spent more than three hours on a sermon, he would throw it out. It was this rule. He's like, if I'm trying too hard. It's not there. He like, he like always He always said that inspiration was something that was waiting to be discovered, not something that you had to conjure out of thin air. So if the idea is like there to pluck down, it's easier and it's simpler and it's always more like authentic and successful. So that's oh, I love that.
0: I love that. That's how I feel when I'm creating uh, my own content, movement-wise. But that's what you've discovered, what I've discovered. What you like? It's like finding. Um, someone said, you know, on the Scrabble board, you have that that free spot in the middle. That's like your pink square, and it's like everybody has their pink square. Like knowing, like yours is that you can, you just can. Create stuff without even trying. It just comes up. It's funny, and Kim obviously, yours is like this grand. It seems like the grand orchestrator of yep. it. You know, that's,
1: that's a perfect way to say it. She well, for starters, you know, in in our particular job, we need her more than we need me for that because our target demographic on Facebook, which is our main platform, is right here.
2: Middle-aged mom. Yeah,
1: like middle, yeah. like yeah, middle-aged yeah. mom. But on top of that, she just really she does have a gift of looking at something and knowing if it's going to work or not.
0: That's amazing. So, Kim, I'd like to ask you. You have I've so appreciated your candor about your struggle with anxiety and depression. And was this ever something that was hard for you to talk about? Like even before you had a platform, just like in life, and much less than bring it onto a platform.
2: Absolutely. I mean. I I went to my went on medication for depression the first time in college, and so that was not something like I didn't tell my friends about that, and I was like off and on switching medication my entire adult life. Then had babies and never I, I didn't talk about it to the point where like even my we moved to New York City, even my like doctors didn't even really know about it. Like my OB there didn't really know about it. So I moved down here, had my son, and. The postpartum, postpartum depression with Lola wasn't as profound. And then the postpartum depression and anxiety with my son was so, it was like debilitating and like the pediatrician. And so this guy, he knew like about it. Like he knew that like, this was something I struggled with ish, but it wasn't, I, I didn't talk about it. I,
1: I knew that you struggled with some anxiety and depression. I was clueless on postpartum.
2: Yeah, and, and 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 like it was one of those things where you know they tell the dads to be on the lookout. He was on the lookout, but he didn't know what even it looked like. But so I remember like the pediatrician like taking my son out of my arms. He's like, "You need help. You need." And so so that, and then I could talk to him about. It. I'm like, I think that's what I'm going through right now. Like I and what
0: I'm sorry. What was it that the pediatrician saw? Like obviously, maybe the way you looked, but was
2: like I was late for the appointment because I didn't want to drive. I was afraid that like if we drove there. I'm gonna try not to get upset, but like I was scared to be on the road. I was afraid, like, I was afraid to walk down the stairs holding him. And I was afraid to like drive because like there'd be trucks on the road that wouldn't see us, and I had a small car, and I was late because I was like, I couldn't even get out of the house. And uh he had really bad like reflux, he wasn't gaining weight. And I'm like, I live in a developed country and my son is like starving. You know what I mean? Like I was like being dramatic, but that's where I was. I was like. What's going to happen to him? So it was like super over the top. So I was like crumbling, and the doctor's like, Whoa, 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 whoa,
1: time out. Three reflux.
2: Yeah, you're missing this. We have medicines for the baby. We have medicines for you. Here's who you're going to talk to. You're going to drive her there. Like, and then I got on good medicine. Like, and I'm, you know, I found my way out of it, but it took like years. That's why, like, I thought we wanted to have a lot of kids, but I'm like, I cannot do that ever again well
1: you had a little bit of amnesia when it came to that
2: like yeah you, i know it was it's like oh maybe we... we have another baby and he's like um i'm sorry and then so i think that just past that i mean i definitely the pandemic was not easy like being as somebody with you know anxiety and it still bubbles up but now i know more about what my brand is and like the things i can do and things that I know how I need to treat it, but I joke like he's like that Honda that doesn't even need an oil change. And I'm like a, like one of those like NASCARs that like needs like a pit crew with new tires every week. Like I need fancy oils and I need like all this stuff. Cause if like one thing goes wrong, I'm like, I'm out See, and he can just keep trucking along for
1: now. I'm probably like a dormant volcano. That's gonna- <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I'm trying like, I mean, no one's, no one's, No one's bulletproof in this life.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. And I think it's what's so important is we all know our internal ecosystems. We know like, you know, I'm with my daughter. My daughter's 18 and a half and she has low level depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look back at from when she was a child, like she she was born into the world with a heart that was exposed. You know, it's like, so all the things you're talking about, like the, the, she feels, I mean, I think I feel things What that other people, like I definitely cry easily when I see, a, you know, joy and sadness. Hers is at a different level. Like it really is very internal. And so it has been as a parent, such an important thing to just really give her the space to feel those feelings wow. and to have those like moments that are illogical to someone else looking in, but so incredibly real to her. And do you feel like your own experience, obviously your own experience has made you, I'm sure super compassionate to others, but do you feel like you're using your own experience in any way as maybe unconsciously as a catalyst for opening up this conversation, this very important conversation that we all need to have as, Human beings, as parents, as partners, our experiences are uniquely our own. I
2: I felt like when, when after, after I became a mom and I saw, oh, wait, my kids could be programmed like this as well. I needed to destigmatize and my own. I, I felt the stigma that nobody had even placed on me. I just wasn't, it wasn't somebody, something I talked about openly. But I needed to in our own house and therefore on a platform because my kids probably, like you were saying, our daughter, I love how you said it. Like she was like born with her, her her heart is on the outside. Like we cannot, we have in our car, we have snacks and money for anybody on the side of the road. And right now there's a lot of people on the side of the road asking for help because they need it. We literally have to like build an extra time because we're going to have to U-turn. We're going to have to stop. We're going to have to give people like, because she'll cry if we can't. So I needed to just just say like, this is what it is. You do the work. You live a happy life. You have an amazing partner. It's not the end of anything, but there might be some bumps in the road and here's how you get help. And So I just needed to like reframe that for my kids' sake. And then also for this like weird community we've created um, as a safe space for you know, men and women to talk about those things.
0: And have you found that a lot of people relate and speak about it?
2: Yeah. I mean, anytime it comes up, I think that more and more people, I think we we had a message, like a woman didn't understand really what anxiety was and just to have a name around it. um, They just, you know, couldn't understand, you know, she couldn't understand why she was feeling these things, but it just helped her to have a name around it and not be ashamed of it. So stuff like that has, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that
0: it can help people. I'm sure it has, because when you have a, a high visibility and you're having this wonderful life, you know, again, what people see, mm-hmm. and then you're like just opening a little bit of the door and saying, "Hey." It looks like everything's hunky dory but I struggle and I struggle and I struggle despite the fact that I have this stuff going on and a wonderful husband and great kids and yeah. you know this wonderful I think it's so it's like it's almost like ah, everybody can exhale because it's like okay the standard isn't that you have to have your shit together all the time and one of my friends who is a therapist for eating disorders she we've done some classes together at the studio and what she has said, which I just love, is that you, when you are suffering from something that's internal, you are not that thing; you are living with that thing, and that's it, that's why it is good to identify. Oh, this is the anxiety that is speaking. You know, that is not like I am. You can say I'm anxious, but I'm not anxiety. It is something within me that we co you know we cohabitate. But I have to recognize when that is speaking. Like you know, like you were talking about going. Going to the pediatrician versus just that's me, and that that's much more I think um, scary for people when they don't when they can't separate it.
1: And also, as soon as you hear that, I, I don't mean to speak for her, but I mean I have we, we've got, we've all got deficiencies in our lives. But once you say that you're living with it, you can get to work on like managing it and understanding that like there's things in your life that you're gonna suck at. Um, that you're just not good at, that you have to work a little bit harder at. I mean, you know, you have that friend that you're like, I can't believe how easy it is for you to blank. Well, you know, for whatever, you know, emotional and mental challenges you have in your life, I think once you you say, this isn't who I am, this is what I'm living with, you figure out how to do the work on it. And Kim has been like, I think that's one of the things that she has been inspiring to other people about in that she has found, and I'm not poo-pooing medicine, but she's found alternate ways to deal with with uh, anxiety and depression through diet and through meditation and through this super expensive, weird x-ray machine that she bought in the mail. It's, it's a like light. Red. It's a
2: bio light. Yeah. It's a red light. But, but Hey, I'm it.
1: here for it. I'm here That's for it. It's self-care.
2: But that being said, medicine, if you she got you this, she got this like,
1: she got this like sleeping bag that like turns it's, into a sauna. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah all the like, things. It's a pit crew. It's my pit crew. I know.
0: The pit crew. I know. Look, can, I don't know if you can see it behind me. It's way over there by the tree, that big old crystal. And my husband's like, that's something. a that's a rock. You just paid that much money for a rock, and I said, yeah, but you know what? That makes me feel good. Yeah. Like I look at it, and it there's an energy to it, and it's like whatever you believe, and that's why our brain is so. And this is like part of my background and what I bring in is your our brain is super convincible. You know, and and from the medical side, it's like placebo effect is real, and it's great. So it's kind of like. Who cares? Like whatever. Like sometimes things need to be evidence based. Sometimes they don't. If it makes you feel better, then it's a great tool to have. And I think mm-hmm. it's so important for people to recognize that. To find your own unique tools. Read about how it helps somebody else, but know that everybody's different. Mm-hmm. I love that the sauna. <laughs> All right, Pen, to you. Yes. We know you're creative. I just wanted to know, like, do you remember in your childhood, like? Being in this realm of making up stories, acting out, like being really dramatic. And then the second part of that is what was it like being raised as a minister's son? Like, I mean, did you have any of that kind of preacher's kids' issues? I mean, I know your dad, so I doubt it, but I'm curious.
1: I feel like you could probably answer both <laughs> for me if you wanted to, but I'll answer them anyway, because Laura and I grew up in the same neighborhood. And I was like the kid who had the Panasonic camera with the with the thing over the shoulder and my brother and I made a series of just terrible amateur movies in our backyard because we were latchkey kids you know our parents like they they both worked or volunteered or were gone a lot and so we just kind of turned our backyard into a horrible horrible film studio i need to see these um I need- <laughs> yeah on top of yeah on top of that i lived in this crazy musical block where, like, right now, if you look around... The
0: cons were right across from you. Right. Yeah, So
1: across the street from me was the guy who founded Merge Records and was the frontman for one of the most popular alt bands of all time, Superchunk. His younger brother, who I used to... Like, we used to babysit each other because their mom was my dad's, like, top associate at the church, is now the drummer for Bonnie Vare. And then down the road, the person I probably collaborated with the most, Ashley Atkins, has been a songwriter for... I don't know, 20 or 30 years and had this like unbelievable skill to pluck tunes and music out of nowhere. So so, much
2: cooler than my neighborhood.
1: (laughs) I am by far the least talented musician in our neighborhood. Um, (laughs) so like that's like I definitely have like a little bit of imposter syndrome. And then my brother's a DJ now. Like everybody in our in that little area was talented. On top of that, our high school that Lar also went to had like a competitive show choir where you could travel all over the world. Did you do that too, Lar?
0: I did. I was really there for the dance, not for the voice. Okay. Okay. So I was like in behind the scenes. I right? had like one solo ever, but, but yeah. you were
1: like Tracy Maxwell because she was like <laughs> a really good dancer and she was my dance partner. And so, like, that's where if you see like all the weird, stupid jazz hand, cringy, like over the top dancedness that you see in our videos, <laughs> that's from a real place. Like, sing that was for
2: yourself. I was a trained dancer. No, you were <laughs> like,
1: that
2: was I can't f- sing though.
1: No, but she was at like, she was a dancer for her college. So that's like hot, right? I was in a gl- Glee Club, and before that show came out, it wasn't cool for a guy to be in Glee Club. All the girls dated the soccer players, and then he was
2: saving himself.
0: And I was in. He was. I, like, he was
2: saving himself.
0: He was. He was staying really, really humble. Yes, with all was, his gifts. Yeah, yeah, I was
1: real busy with my synthesizers. So I mean, yeah. what, what you want for me, that was my musical background, and it. You know, unfortunately, after college, uh, when I got into journalism, it kind of went away. And I was so thrilled when I found out there was a way to kind of bring it back s- semi-professionally, which is... Oh my God,
0: I just had a flashback. So Kim, we had the the leader of the chorus was her name, Tiny, probably like 4'11", Mrs. McKeever. And you know, it's like certain people are just foundational in your upbringing. And, yes. and she was not only incredibly talented, but very fiery. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she was like 4'11". And when if we were not... That'd be fiery when
2: you're 4'11". When we
0: were not performing, she would bang on the piano, race up the stage. Kelly and I would crack up because she was just tiny little like almost the weeble wobble, like, like, just run up, start screaming at us. And we were just like, you know, I don't think she could have done that in this day, but it had an impact because it was like, she held the bar up here. And if you were effing around, it was like, uh-huh. watch out. But did you have that opinion about her? Bless her heart. I oh,
1: yeah. love that energy. Oh yeah. And she left after my sophomore year and then Scott Hill, who was the middle school, one, and, but they were both fiery, like in their own- Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and they would bring in these, like, professional liaisons to help do these musicals. And the musicals were a big deal. And I, like, definitely, like, I watch Dance Moms with my daughter now. and I'm <laughs> Old like, episodes. Yeah. And I'm, I tell her, I'm like, this, our high school was like this. I, I can't believe that there are people who talk like that to eight-year-olds, but we were talked very directly to. Really? In uh, these, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. they would, I mean, Scott Hill was very meek. But yeah. I remember, like, I was talking to Kelly one time. We were, like, whispering, and she just slammed on the piano. It's funny how these, so many things and you that forget. that would not happen right now. Oh, would screamed at us, like, you yeah. think you're so important talking back th-? I mean, and we were, like. <laughs> no, <that laughs> there would be, would be like, not.
1: there would be an angry mom. mom I know, that would not house. happen right <laughs> yeah. now. My, I, you,
2: like, my daughter has, I don't know that my daughter's been yelled at by by somebody who's not us. I mean, not yeah, the right. a lot. But if she had, like, a coaching experience like that,
1: Oh, she was. I, I still say like my, my favorite. The people who were the most influential on me growing up were the ones who were the most passionate. I don't have a problem with any of those things. We we also had this like English teacher named Hollis Self. She passed away recently, and she like made it a point to like get everyone to hate her um, in honors English in ninth grade. And I still like she she taught me how to write. She taught mm-hmm. me how to care about writing. There's you know, I, I, I love, I really hope that there's still some passionate teachers who are allowed to use their passion in schools. Without.
2: <laughs> you call it right. some people are going to call it verbal abuse. <laughs> right.
0: It, it's like the, it's, it's not like a coach screaming at you quite. It's like just bringing that. Right. Yeah, it, there is a passion and it's really whole. I always say holding the bar high, which is, I think we all need to do a little bit more of, mm-hmm. you know, these people, they, they were just holding the bar high saying you guys have talent we don't, you know, we have a con- you know a certain amount of time in in this classroom on the stage. Don't mess around. Let's go, you know. And it was that's why the the show choir was so successful, as I know, because of Little Miss McKeever. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm gonna hold the bar high
0: from now on. We so fight. Hold- Day. Yeah, I'm just holding the bar high for you, honey. Yeah, exactly. Be like, I'm being like Miss McKeever here.
1: Oh, you asked another question about the preacher. i Yeah, it.
0: yeah. I really, w- yes. I'm fascinated. Is,
1: it's not that hard. My dad was a super chill preacher. Like, he took me on fishing trips. He gave me my first beer when I was like 15. He was not the normal preacher. My mom was more of the preacher than my dad was, and she ran a pretty tight ship, so I definitely was well-behaved through high school. When I got to college, I went completely bonkers.
0: <laughs> no, I remember in the pew, like, every once in a while you would be in there and you'd be like probably messing around and your mom would just be like, it'd just yeah. be like a look. It was like, <laughs> 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 it was like. Harry Holderness was not messing around. No, no it, she didn't even say that. It. it was just like. Didn't need to. And uh. you're totally still. I mean, just what a wonderful, I mean, I, I, your parents were such uh, instrumental figures in my life and so many. And yeah, I do think that your dad was. I was, I was talking about this with some teacher training people, a big pivotal moment was when the black church across the street burned down. Do you Markham. remember that? Yeah, Markham, but yep. And then they came and were in our church for probably close to a year. And I just remember that when we would sing, they're up there and, you know, and I was like, I want, I want that.
1: I want to go you know? to that church.
0: I <laughs> want that, yeah. like that energy, that expression, it was so... Super pivotal to me. And I talk about that in my teacher training. It's like, you need to like be able to express spirit, not contain it. Like so for me, and as wonderful as our Presbyterian church was, super progressive for that time in so many ways, as you know, your dad is so progressive. Still, there is this like kind of, you know, there's a role that you play in church. And when I when they came, I felt that's when I felt spirit. Like I really was like, I that's what I want to be. And I think that's just. Did you do you remember those days? They were well, just- yeah
1: no, and and actually, um, I mean, so my dad actually hired like a more like like a spirit driven like ecumenical um associate one time named David David Thornton who completely changed my thoughts on faith as well. It's a, it's a shame that churches remain the most segregated places in America, mm-hmm. and so to be able to get away from that mold for a little while. Was a real gift. And you're right about the energy. You're right about the spirit. I want to punch my younger self because I remember one day I was like, I can't believe that took two hours.
0: <laughs>
1: because right. So than, <laughs> because
0: than, Presbyterians than like a good hour. Yeah. Yeah. We're like an hour and we're out, right? Yeah. yeah. And normally I think their service, I remember talking to um, some of the participants afterwards, they're like four hours and they'd have lunch and then they'd go back. So you know, yeah. one hour was just like you were Seriously, just barely getting started. Brunch
2: reservations? No, we're not. Well, it was that. always
1: because there was a there was an ACC basketball game that you want at one o'clock, like Duke Carolina. <laughs> dad would like he would be up there saying, and my dad sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. He'd be like, "The uh, uh, the gentleman's brunch has been postponed until four o'clock. <laughs> there is a Duke Carolina game at one o'clock."
0: <laughs> we had prior. We have our priorities, right? Yeah. <laughs> So in other words, it was a really wonderful experience being a preacher's kid. I don't think there was necessarily any good
2: parents. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you think it prepared you in any way for this visual, virtual world? Like kind of because you know, when you walk in, you are the son of the main
1: guy up there. You know what? I think that's I never have thought about it that way. But when you grow up in a church community, there's a lot of eyes on. Mm -hmm. and there's a responsibility to carry yourself in a certain way and you learn that at a very young age I think the thing that prepared me the most was my father's constant insistence that we needed to be ourselves Mm -hmm. which I don't know how much that has to do with church but I guess it does in a little in, in, in some ways definitely my like my background of being around musicians growing up made a big difference being in a city I Man, Durham is an amazing musical city. There's a lot of great people who've come out of there. And also like having a, a mother who, who taught me, basically taught me through ear how to play a bunch of different instruments. Those all made a big difference. And then the performance side of it really came from probably partially seeing my dad and the ease with which he delivered things. And also just, I mean, the unbelievable arts program that they had in Durham public schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kim, I've got a question for you because I feel like when I was listening to the way you both respond to likes, dislikes, I loved how when when you hit 25 million views or something like that, Penn is up here like, Wah! high five, want to go like run around the block. And you were shrinking back with that. And I can appreciate both of those. I really can appreciate the like celebration. But like you, unfortunately, I'm a people pleaser. And and that one out of a 100 comments that would be snarky or, or just not as kind would bother me as well. So how do you manage that desire to elevate your platform and have more visibility with the knowledge that in doing so, you are potentially opening up yourself and even your family to criticism?
2: It's so hard because the goals we have and things we want to accomplish, you need a bigger platform and you need the evidence of an engaged community because there's so many amazing things that come out of having this really engaged community. But with that, please know that I hate being on camera. I would rather be behind the camera. I'd rather be the person writing it. And I wish I could say, doesn't matter what people think of me, but it totally does. (laughs) Especially when they're wrong. Like if they think like, oh, like there's comments I laugh at. They're like, oh, she's getting older. She's gained weight. Like that I laugh at. I don't care. But when you twist, you know, my values and you're twisting something or even worse, like you were attacking people like we had recently, because we are, you know, we are, we got the vaccine, we're vaccinated people. And we put something about about like, yay, we're vaccinated. And then we kind of got like comment bombed. So the anti-vax sites have like a coordinated effort where they come in and like bomb comments on something that has nothing to do. And they'll attack other people on the platform. I'm like, no, these are guests in my house. You've come now into my house and you're spitting on my guests. So like that, I was like, I'd spend like eight hours like blocking and reporting people. And he's like, "What? the video did great. I'm like, oh my God. So it is a battle and it's one that if I want to stay engaged and do this job, I have to put up with. It just comes with it. But I would prefer not to. Like I really want to go. I talk about our retirement. I want to get like an electric bike. We get one of those next. Week. I know. For our anniversary we bought electric bikes and I'm going to play pickleball. <laughs> I don't currently play pickleball and I just want to drink margaritas. And then like. Be on the internet if we want to be on the internet and not be if we don't want to so it's something that he it does a beautiful job blocking out I struggle I struggle yeah, with
0: it. I think that's honest and I think it's it's almost like you have to swallow the pill of reality that when you are on online in any way that it is it's exposing to all sorts of people who have Again, most of the experiences, I'm sure are wonderful.
2: they are but it's they like are. you
0: again it, it like you put something that has any divisiveness to it and um that can you know open you up to the crazies <laughs> yeah. or, or you know, or just yeah. e- even people that don't agree with you and that's like that's kind of hard, but yeah, I think it is. It's like you have to kind of take that pill and then recognize that most of the environment is really wonderful
2: i I don't see that, but yes ninety nine percent of the environment is wonderful and supportive and this so supportive. And then the 1% is like, you know, oh, I don't like the way, I don't like the sound of her voice. And I'm like, <gasps> what?
0: <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? I, I, I know. Well, control. that you can't even like wrap your head around. It's not like I have a great voice. What are you talking about? I, it's I, just-
2: I don't actually love the sound of my voice. So I'm like, you've taken the thing that I was teased at about when I was a child. And now you're, you know, I'm like, oh my God, they're right. I do,
0: yeah. (laughs) No, you have an amazing voice, Kim, let me tell you. Okay, you do. So don't listen to them. (laughs) That's where you just have to laugh. All right, let's uh, now dive into this new baby of yours, Mm -hmm. uh, your book, which congratulations, writing a book. I'm in the process of writing one, as I've said for the past five years. (laughs) And, you know, it's just, uh, it's not on my top priority, but I do for the community that I have. I, I know that it would be a really, really helpful thing but it's um, time-consuming and all of that. So your book, Everybody Fights, great title. As I said, my husband and I were listening to the audiobook, book and, and just, I love that you were upfront, that you're not psychologist or family therapist, but that you've done your due diligence in your own therapy and advice application. And I think in a way that, you know, living with one person for an extended period of time, like a marriage, is when you have so many things that are different is both challenging but also exciting because it's not like you're living with yourself. There's a novelty to that because it's like wow, I just don't understand that person at all and isn't it kind of, it's new. It's almost refreshing because you're never going to actually get inside their their brain or their their understanding. So what was the hardest thing about writing this book together? I'll start off with the hardest thing.
1: Uh, writing the book together. Writing the book together was challenging. I mean, we knew we were doing a a book about fights, but when we started writing the book, we hadn't really resolved all of the fights yet. We just knew that they were fights. Some of them were, I mean, all of them looking back on them have a little bit of humor to them. Most of them do. And I think that's one of the reasons that the book is, I think, going to work for us because we are a comedy forward family, but we hadn't, we hadn't resolved everything. So we kept fighting while we were writing the book.
2: Yes. I will say I will agree with you. That was the <laughs> hardest part of it. And, and writing a book is, it took us three years. And I think also finding the time for that, I really did envision, you know, when we were writing a book that it would be us, you know, tucked away in a log cabin in the mountains with like a stream and a cardigan and, you know, very just isolated and that's not real life. Yeah. And we would set time in our days, but then the phone would dang in this. And so it was, The actual writing process, I I did enjoy it. I went, once you were like in the flow, like once you find your flow, I really enjoyed it, but it was tough to get
1: there. There was a hill that we got over at one point where uh, the counseling we were getting and the tools that we were learning actually helped us finish it. And we started like getting closer together. Like there was a valley and then all of a sudden, you know, it's been, I think it's still been uphill ever since then because we cannot fix these fights by ourselves. Um, This is
0: so important for everybody to hear. I I think it's so important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I believe in, I've done like personal therapy. We've done, you know, we, we met with a counselor and I think that if that's the one thing people take away, I I hope that people take away some great language and some uh, tips. And and these are really the basic principles we learned that transformed how we communicate and therefore changed our marriage. These are the things we learned. And I hope people take that away, but also Penn has this great analogy in the beginning of the book that, you know, you take your car in for an oil change, you get the tires rotated, you check the, you know, all of those things that you do for the, your car and the preventative maintenance, that like why wouldn't you do this for your most important relationship? And really we don't, you know, 55% of marriages end in divorce at this point, my parents were divorced. And this is for this book is for the forty five percent of people who are who just want to stay married, and because there are a lot of marriages that they're going to stay together, but it's may not be the most dynamic <laughs> partnership, but they're going to stay together anyway. Like there are ways, like there are shifts, there's communication, there's ways you can talk to each other, there's ways you can listen to each other that can fundamentally change, I believe, a relationship, and um, that's who we hope you know get something out
0: of this book. I totally agree. I um I was thinking of this I have cousins on the west coast and they're on their they've all been married three times. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and one of them said to me after the second divorce she said, "You know, Laura, he I opened the refrigerator one day and I looked at the yogurt that he had gotten and it was it was not the right kind of yogurt and I thought that's it." Oh wow. And then she said, But you know, Laura, it's never about the yogurt. And that stayed with me forever because it's like, it's never about the yogurt. It's about all those- thousand other things. Thousands other things that you didn't work out. And yeah. what that yogurt was saying to her is, he doesn't listen to me. He didn't even know what kind of flavor I wanted. Yeah. But did she do her part in telling him that yes. and telling him it was yeah, important? Yeah. So it's like, it's this two-way thing. And and she recognized that, but I loved that. So it's was like, it's never about the yogurt. Like it's Remember the that. little... Because it's the little things that we fight it's, about, it's, typically.
2: It's death by a thousand cuts, right? And I think that so in my parents' marriage, the issue, they they went through five marriage counselors. They super tried. They were fundamentally mismatched. They got married super young and there was just like a fundamental issue. So it was yogurt every day. It was like those things every day. But I th- I do believe there are, there was this comedian, we quote, he said, no good marriage ever ends in divorce. I don't know. I mean, because we've never called a divorce attorney. I don't know if there were like, did so did your cousins ever walk down the aisle thinking, oh, this may not work out. And if so, I'll just get a divorce. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. they never went down the aisle thinking this may not work out. So. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. It's never about the yogurt. It's never about the yogurt. That's a great uh-huh. quote. I love it. I was like, that's really poetic. And I thought about that about a lot of things. when I've thought about when my daughter would come home and she'd eighth or ninth grade and be like super snappy. And my husband was like, he's viewing it as disrespectful. And I was like, this has nothing to do with us. Yeah. She's unloading something that happened and it'll come up, but we have to give her the space. And you know, that's where the parenting Comes in too because your own view and your own interpretation of what's happening. I think kids make parenting, I mean, make marriage more challenging. They do, yeah.
1: They they do because uh, every relationship is, (laughs) you know, it's a push pull. It's I think it's called systems theory where it's a push pull between what your partner wants and can make them happy with with what you want that makes you happy, and if you add people who have like actual adult hormones and feelings to so that it immediately complicates it i feel like i've gotten better and you have i think you have too at parenting after doing therapy and counseling with each other mm-hmm. because like when lola comes in and says those same things and kim's better at this than i am but i watched her do it last week instead of me trying to fix it kim's like hang on a second she goes honey i'm sorry that really sucks i'm yeah. sorry i'm, I'm sorry that that's, that's really ha- that's really hard and just lays out
0: I love that, Kim. That is the best piece of advice that I've not always done well because I have, it's not like I want to, I, I start shaping it into like, well, you know, you got to imagine that that person's really hurt, you know? Yeah. And, and Olivia said to me one time, mom, I don't need your yoga talk. And I was like, uh-huh. okay. Every, ever since she said that, that somehow that hit me right there. I was like, you know what? I'm trying to make this into some kind of lesson or some kind of like, look at the other person. And sometimes it's like, no, that sucks. That happened. I'm really really sorry that happened. happened." And after, yeah, after that, I just was like, every time those words were coming up, I would like, shut it
2: down. And then we did, we definitely used some, you know, we talk about this book. There's a lot of magic words that our counselor taught us, like just to you know, to get more out of the conversation to be better listeners. And a lot of them like Jedi mind tricks to be used our kids, which is like, tell me more,
1: mm-hmm. tell
2: me more about that. I hear you. I hear you. I, yeah. And it's like, so what I hear you say, what I'm hearing you say is you feel real. And, and so, and keeping the, I feel statement, the, like, I feel, it's, we were trying to teach our kids the, I feel statements. And like, I feel like he should have done this. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like making it three words. Like I feel lonely. I feel sad. I feel angry. Like just trying to keep those. And that's so that marriage work definitely changed
0: the parenting. I could not agree more. So everyone go out and buy this book because it's going to help you as an individual, because the bottom line is you're going to be partnering up with someone. You might not get married. You might be having a roommate. Like we all need to learn more about ourselves to be better in a In any kind of dynamic, whether it's a partnership, a family, work, I mean, these things really do trickle out to every walk of life because we're not living in an isolated bubble. So the way that you guys speak, the what I've read so far, I can't wait to finish it, is just amazing. So where can people find this
1: book? Oh, thank you for asking. So if you Google The Holderness Family, that's a good start. It'll be on our website, theholdernessfamily.com. It's everybodyfightsbook.com if you want to go there or just anywhere you buy books, you can uh, you can search Holderness Cos- Family. Yeah. Uh, it's like
2: Amazon, if, Costco, yeah. Barnes and Noble, uh, independent
1: bookstores, some of yeah. those two. So but if you don't remember our name, then Everybody Fights. One of those two things, it'll pop up.
0: Holderness, Holderness, Holderness. All right. Let's just end by saying, It's hard to end because I would love to talk to you guys more. But where do you, Kim kind of referenced it a little bit. Where do you guys see yourself in 10 years? Like your kids are going to be kind of going to college or out of college at that point. Where do
1: you all see yourself? Kim loves to ask that question. And I'm trying to get better at... He hates it. I used to get offended by it. I thought that it meant, wait, are you not happy right now? Like that was, I I used to have like take umbrage to that. But now we're talking about the kids being out of of school. So I'm starting to like talking about that.
2: (laughs) Um, I think... I have visions because our kids will be in college. So we'll be less. I love the city we live in, but I want to be near a beach, probably working, writing, creating something. But I definitely want to be on a, an electric bike, bike playing pickleball with a margarita in one hand. I don't know what pickleball involves, but I feel like you could hold a margarita in a hand. Sure. Right? Yeah, maybe like it
1: sounds top. like it. It no, sounds like it's it. Like a, it's a smaller racket. It's a smaller it's
2: racket. Jacket. So maybe it's yeah. like a sippy cup of margarita. So just, I think we're in that stage of parenting right now where we're, dry, we're like youth sports dominate the weekend. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited to like, I don't know, just I do yoga and drink margaritas. There's a lot of drinks. That, that, drink. that sounds
0: great. I, 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 I want to drink some margaritas with
1: you.
2: I don't even drink that much, which is really funny. What well, about
1: you? That all sounds great. I think minus the yoga, I'm not as bendy as Laura. So I don't know. Uh, That's
0: why you need to do it. No,
1: I I have too many ligaments that are, they just, they're done. Like when I I go to the doctor now, they're not like, oh, well, here's what you should do. They're like, yeah, that's going to be like that for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I like, I imagine myself being in fairly good shape, taking care of myself. I'd like to be by an ocean. I think that our, our, um, our workflow will probably be a little different because I don't think we can sustain this for 10 more years. It's a lot of work. But uh, but I'm looking forward to um, some time with just the two of us again.
0: That's amazing. Well, you both are just truly gems in this world. I mean this. You have such talent and heart. And I'm just so happy for all that you've accomplished and that you will continue to. And just good luck with this book. Let's stay in touch. Lots of love to you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It was thank nice you. to meet you after hearing so much about you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And to all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you.